We're going to continue our series today, and we're talking about the church. We're talking about the nine habits of an overcoming, an overcoming follower of Christ. You know, we've been in the, in the ministry some 20, almost 25 years now, and uh, Nija and I have noticed that there, there is a large percentage of people in the body of Christ that just struggle. I mean, I've struggled. I've been through times of struggle. But honestly, I can tell you that my Christian life has not been a constant struggle. There are times that it's been difficult. There have been times that, that I felt like giving up. There are times that I've been stretched beyond what I thought I could handle. But you know what? My, my Christian life has been, well, when I started out, I'm sure I started out like you guys. You know, I was so on fire for God, there wasn't anything that was going to stop me. You know, I, I just, everything was God and everything was good. Do you guys remember that? And, and then I found I started going through some tests and trials, and I was finding, well, I wasn't as mature as I thought I was. And, and I found, well, I was up here, and then all of a sudden I'm down here emotionally, I'm down here spiritually, maybe even doing things that I never thought I'd do again. And then, and then I'd climb back up, and I was on a high, praise the Lord, everything was good. And then I'd dive down again. And what I found over the last 30 years of living for Christ is, is my Christian life, yes, it was up and it was down, but here's what's happening. The ups and the downs aren't so big, aren't so high, aren't so low. It's, it's evening out. And, and if you would take a, if it were a graph, you could take it, you could see that there is increase in my life. And, and it, it seems to me that it's a shame that Christians tend to think just being a Christian for a length of time causes maturity. It doesn't. You know, that, that's like saying, I'm going to get smarter just because I'm getting older. I don't know about you. I've met a lot of silly 70-year-olds. I've met a lot of silly 60-year-olds. And I've, I've met a lot of kids that are 25 and 30 that have a lot of common sense. So it doesn't have to do with the passing of time, does it? And so we, 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 we're talking about the, the nine habits of an overcoming follower of Christ, somebody who's living on the top. That doesn't mean that they don't stumble. That doesn't mean that they don't fall or they don't have a trial or they don't get attacked with sickness or disease at times. But what I'm telling you is there is victory in their life. There's a lifestyle of victory. There's a lifestyle of gratitude. And today we're talking about the sixth habit, which is being part of the local church, not just attending church, but being part of the church community. Because we've noticed that people in, in the body of Christ that are not part of a local church tend to be in that first group where they don't live in victory, where there seems to be a lot of, uh, a lot of highs, but there are a lot of lows. And if you would take the measure of that life, you would find that there's not a lot of victory. There is times where there's victory, but let's put it this way. It's not consistent. Can everybody say consistent? If you're going to mature in Christ, then we're going to have a consistent production of fruit and victory in our life. And I, we just have not seen that. So I, I want to go through some scriptures with you first. Jesus talked about the church. Matter of fact, he introduced the word in Matthew chapter 16. And, and the word is actually ecclesia. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon. This is verse 17. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. What's he talking about? 
Jesus said, who do men say I am? Some said, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say, some say you're this and some say you're that. And Peter says, you are Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, for you, this was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And he says, and I tell you that now, his name was Simon, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He was saying, upon this revelation that I am the Christ, that I am the son of the living God, I am going to build my church. And, and I want you to hear this. The gates of hell will not overcome it. I'll bet you could, you could go back in your life and you could look at your life just like I can look at mine. And the times that I wasn't participating in the local church, the times that I was kind of disconnected in my heart and maybe my giving and my attendance and those kind of things, those were times where I was not overcoming the gates of hell. At first, it was okay. At first, I didn't notice a difference. But after a period of time, pretty soon, I started seeing the lows again. And I started feeling the attacks again. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's because the Christian wasn't made the overcomer. The church was made the overcomer. And, and when, we, when we get into this, it'll make sense to you. Jesus is the founder and the builder of the church. The cornerstone that everything is built upon is that Jesus is the Christ. And if we keep that revelation in our midst and we talk about it and we, we sing about it and we worship because he is the Christ, we will find that we will be an overcoming body of Christ. The word ecclesia means this. This is the word that Jesus used, a regularly summoned legislative body, an assembly. A regular, a regular, we say weekly, a regular summoned legislative body, an assembly. That's what the word ecclesia means. So I, I'm going I'm to give you the gist of the message right now, and hopefully you will get it by the time that we're done. You are not the church. I am not the church. Together, we are the church. And, and the word that Jesus used was a word that was used by the, by the common people and the people that were in legislation and in government. And it was a, a regularly scheduled meeting that you came out of your homes into more of a public place like the temple. And, or or when, when the Gentiles started coming in, into peoples who had large rooms in their houses and meeting halls and teaching centers. And people would gather in these places on a regular basis, and there was some government that took place in there. Everybody say government. We're not talking left and we're not talking right. We're talking about structure. We're talking about decision making. We're talking about guidance. We're talking about protection. That's what I, when I say government in this, in this context, that's what we're talking about. The church is the government of God on the earth today. Jesus spoke of the church the New Testament was written to the church. The Old Testament is full of examples and warnings for the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. So this 1 Corinthians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to not an individual in Corinth. He wrote it to the church in Corinth. And he said, these things, speaking of the Old Testament, 
happened to them as examples and were written down as a warning for, he didn't say me and he didn't say you, he said us, on whom the accumulation of the ages has come, where, where God has fulfilled things now and the church is in existence. The Old Testament is written as an example for us, so we can see the mistakes that were made, the, 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 the things that happened that weren't good, the things that happened that were good. It is a type and a shadow of what we walk in. And the scripture says that it was written for us, the church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was written for the church as an orderly fashion to know about Jesus. The book of Acts was written about the church. Every single one of the that is Romans through Jude. Every one of the letters were written to a specific church. And finally, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches. I want you to hear this because when you get this filter, you'll be able to read the word of God in the proper context. Even the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me was written to the church. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory was written to the church in Philippi because the church were partners in the mission journeys of Paul. And he was saying as partners, God is going to supply you, the church, with all of your needs. But what has happened is we've taken these scriptures and we've made them so personal that we're taking them out of context. I'm not saying you can't take these promises and make them personal. But I am telling you, if you're taking these promises and making them personal and you're not participating in the church community, you're not going to receive all of the blessing out of that scripture and that promise that you should. Amen. Hallelujah. Because when you get to heaven, I don't want you to say, hey, Jesus, why didn't that work for me? And he's going to say, well, how come you weren't part of a church? How come you were, you were just online with somebody? You never got together with people. How come, you, how come you didn't go to small group? And how come you didn't go to the assembly? How come, you, how come you weren't part of what I was building on the earth? I don't want you to get to heaven and hear that from him. I want you to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if he's going to say, well done, then most of the things that I'm going to do for God is going to be done through the church. Okay, praise the Lord. You guys have got those defensive walls up already. Let's just tear them down in Jesus' name. That's why the, the, the time period that we live in right now is called the church age. All right, all right. Can I break it down for you a little bit easier? So let's go back to the Old Testament. We know that Satan ruled and reigned in that time. Sin just, just had full reign over the earth. In other words, there wasn't much God can do because Satan was the prince of the air. He was the ruler of this world. He could, there wasn't much he could do to stop Satan harassing you. So he put the law in place so you could do certain things to cover your sin or deal with your mistakes so God could, in a sense, come in and cover you and bless you. 
Instead of looking at the law as, oh my gosh, you know, I got to do everything or I'm underneath the curse. Look at it this way. If I mess up, I knew what I had to do, what sacrifice I had to bring so that God could bless me. Matter of fact, there was a certain sacrifice just for just for healing. There was another certain sacrifice that was just to get rid of mold and mildew in your house. They didn't have Lysol back then. They had to go for go to God for that. So there was access to the goodness of God. Now, when Jesus came on the earth, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The words that I say are not my words. They belong to God. They belong to the Father. I don't do anything that I don't see him do, and I don't say anything that I don't hear him say. So Jesus was the express image of God on the earth. If you sometimes don't know what God would have you do, why don't you look at the life of Jesus? Because what Jesus did is exactly what the father would do. So Jesus, here, here we had the goodness of God. We could access the goodness and the blessings of God through the law. And then Jesus came so that he could destroy the works of the devil so God could bless you. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So Jesus was walking on the earth. What did Jesus do when he walked on the earth? He preached the good news. He preached forgiveness of sins. He healed the sick. He cleansed the leper. He opened blind eyes. He, he took care of people's financial needs. He fed those that were hungry. Jesus was God come in the flesh. God's will was being done through Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is in front of a large crowd, and he looks at the crowd, and he looks at himself, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, Oh, this is going to be tough. There's one of me, and there's several thousand of them. I don't think I can touch them all today. I don't think I can minister to every single one of them today. Why would you say that? Because Jesus was in a body like yours and mine, and he had his limitations. He could grow tired. So he turned back his, to his disciples, and he said, here's what we need to do. We need to get involved and multiply this thing. Unless, unless a seed uh, dies and gets cast into the ground, it just remains one seed. But if it dies and it comes out again, then it's going to be many. He said, you need to pray to the Father that he would send out more workers like me into the harvest field. So Jesus on the cross bore our sins so we could die to the power of sin and die to the, the lust of sin, die to the desire to sin. And then God could put his spirit in us once we were forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He bore our sins on his body on the cross so we could die to sin and live unto righteousness. And he put his spirit in us so we don't have to do these things alone anymore. And Jesus prayed that there'd be many more like him. So we have, well, listen, Christian, if you're born again, then your spirit has been made new. The old one is gone. That doesn't mean your thinker has changed. Your spirit has changed. And God put his spirit in you. He couldn't do that before, but now he can because there's a way through the blood of Jesus. Now we are to do the work of Jesus. Jesus is in the heavens, but yet God is within us. We are the body of Christ and he is the head. You can be part of the body of Christ 
and have no power. You can be part of the body of Christ and have very little ability. You can be part of the body of Christ and have very little authority because the authority was given to the church. The power was given to the church. The ability to rule and reign over the things in this earth was given to the church collectively. Are you hearing me? Praise God. That's why we're in the church age. The church, not this building, is the household of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he says, If I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. He's talking about this is the way we do service. He says, this is the way we conduct ourselves, which is the, the God's household, which is the church of the living God. And catch this. He says, the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Now, the church is only the pillar of a foundation of truth when the church is, is in line with God's word and God's spirit. God says, I am not a man. I am not. I am not a change. I'm not going to change my mind. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God doesn't change like the shifting shadows, the Bible says. He is who he is. And so the church that is preaching the word of God is going to be the pillar and foundation of the truth on the earth. And when the church a big portion of the church got away from the word of God. What happened to our nation and the rest of the nations? The pillar and the foundation of truth was no longer the pillar and foundation of truth, and it became a pillar and a foundation of men's voices. So the church, if it's operating in the will of God, is to be his voice on the earth. The pillar and foundation of truth. The church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 1.22. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet. He appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his, which is his, Jesus' body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You are not the body of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. Get that. This is the deception that's going out in the world. That, that people don't need the ecclesia. Oh, they may make it to heaven, but, but as one is barely escaping through the flames is what the word of God says. Because, listen, uh, we can do more together than we can do apart. But he here's the thing is you don't have all the anointing of God. You don't have all the wisdom of God. You don't have all the faith of God, and neither do I. But collectively, we do. We the, Actually, collectively, the universal church holds all of the anointing of Jesus. Now, there may be some in India and some in Africa and some in the United States. You are not the body of Christ. You're part of the body. 
And you know, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt in your heart what I'm telling you is true because the times that you stepped away from the government of God, the church on the earth, you began to experience things that you were emancipated from. That you had victory in your life and all of a sudden you're right back to where you were. How did you get there? Because you dislocated yourself, you disconnected from the body of Christ and you became a member all out on your own. Jesus is the head of the church. First Corinthians eleven eighteen. In the first place, Paul says, I hear when you come together, there are divisions and to some extent, I believe it. When you come together as a church. Come on now. Thank God we had Zoom during COVID. How many of you could honestly tell me that Zoom fulfilled everything that you needed from the church during COVID? I can tell you it didn't for me. I mean, thank God it was like it was like skim milk, but I needed, you know, I needed condensed milk or something. It was at least something. And that's why people are weak. That's why people are falling to sleep. That's why people are getting sick. That's why people are not walking in victory. Listen, it's, it's, it's just because they're not getting enough nutrition. They're not getting the manna from God, the bread from heaven. They're not getting the truth. They're not experiencing the body as Jesus designed it to be. Can I get an amen? amen? Don't destroy what Jesus is trying to build. I'm, I'm going to tell you my own story, but I'm talking to you too. When Nietzsche and I used to go overseas and we'd see all these people get born, I mean, thousands and thousands of people. We, was, we saw more people get born again uh, in, in five years than live in the entire metro in Des Moines. We, we, we just had that much wonderful experience of people receiving the truth overseas. It was fantastic. And then we come back over here and everybody would be all up and, oh, she's not treating me right. She burnt my toast. I can't afford my cell phone payment. Why, when am I doing something wrong? Is God mad at me? Why am I going through this again? It just seemed like the, the body, the people, the members of the body of Christ were complaining all the time and they didn't have an eye for the vision of the church. And so we began to say things that were a little bit corrective and a little bit uh, not nice. And Jesus had a talk with me one time in prayer and he said, stop tearing down with your tongue what I'm trying to build. Jesus is the founder and the builder of the church. And I was saying the church wasn't what it was supposed to be. And he's told me, stop trying to change the churches and begin to influence them. Okay, how do you do that? And then he stuck us here and we're still trying to figure it out. I want to show you guys something here. I want to show you 
how wrongly we have perceived the word of God because we've taken the New Testament and the epistles and we've taken them personally instead of looking at them as a letter that was written to a collective. How many of you know that there is a belief in about 60% of the church that if you commit suicide, you're going to hell? And they use a scripture that says, if you destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. So 60% of the body of Christ, and maybe some of you are thinking wrongly about that scripture. Let me read that scripture to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Remember, 1 Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth, not to a person. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple, his household is sacred. And you together are that temple. Do you see how, how, how beguiled we have been? It doesn't say that if you commit suicide and you destroy your body, which is a temple of the living God, and God's going to be mad at you because you did that, that you're going to hell. That's not what it says at all. There's no mention of hell at all. But it says if you destroy God's household, the temple of God, which we are being built into as a church, then God will destroy you. You don't want to find yourself fighting God. God is speaking of the church, not an individual in this scripture. Matthew chapter 18. Let's get, let me give you another, another thing that we've just taken wrong. How many of you ever said, well, don't judge me, brother. No, I don't judge anybody. Judge not lest ye be judged. And we take that out of context. Church has no business judging people. That is just flat out wrong. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister, talking about the church, goes to a, a go, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Praise the Lord. But if it will not listen, take two or three others along so that the matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, if that person still refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, now you judge them. You treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's called shunning. And Jesus said the church is supposed to judge itself. The Apostle Paul tells us several times that we are supposed to judge ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that I judge Lucas and I don't judge myself. And that doesn't mean that I judge Kelly. But I don't make myself open to the judgment of the congregation. If there is a problem, come tell me. And if, there's, if you don't come tell me, then you better not have a problem. Because the truth is, if you have a problem and you're talking to other people, you're destroying what Jesus is trying to build. And you better watch out. You'll find yourself fighting God, not me. If I'm doing something wrong, come to me with the word and tell me. And please, let's correct it. Or, or let me straighten you out. I don't know which it's going to be. I've been corrected before and that's okay. But see, that's judgment. 
We judge ourselves so we're not judged by him. So this idea, don't judge me, is wrong. I mean, how can, how can, how can you say, oh, you're sinning? Is that judging? No, I'm just saying this is what the Word of God says, and this is what you're doing, so they don't line up. That, the, 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 the gap in the middle is sin. Let's get it fixed. No, don't do that to me, brother. I don't like it. I didn't like it when my mom and dad spanked me either. I don't like discipline. Nobody does. It's supposed to be dis, it's supposed to create discomfort. It's not supposed to feel good. But I want you to understand there's a process. And we, you know, when judgment gets messed up in the church, when we skip the process. When we don't go to somebody and we tell them, when we don't take somebody with us who saw them do it, not somebody who heard about it, somebody who saw them do it and, and approach them in love. When we don't go before the church, you listen, when you just when you just go somebody because you don't like what they're doing, you're not doing what Jesus said and you're judging out of order. The church will even judge the world. Ow. Yes, we will. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of the Lord's people? Let the Lord's people judge it. Or do you not know the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're going to judge the world, aren't you competent enough to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge? Listen, we're going to judge angels. How much more the things of this life? We're supposed to judge. Where we get in trouble is when we try to judge motives instead of actions. Where we get in trouble is when we're making judgments that are not based in the Word of God. When we get in trouble is when we're making judgments and we're not combining it with the love of Christ. But we are supposed to judge. That's why we've got every manner of sin in the churches today. Because people don't, they, they, they've bought into this truth that is not truth. Here, listen, listen. The church is the body of Christ. You're a member of the body. Now, yes, there are positions and there's rank and there's order and all that kind of stuff in the body of Christ. That's not what this message is about. But, but the church is the government of God on the earth. The priesthood and the Old Testament was the government of God on the earth in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, the church is the government of God. Now, don't, don't think that we're going to be taxing people and stuff like that. That's not what it means. It means that we bring order where there's disorder. We bring, we bring provision to those who lack. We help those who don't have. We are the government. We release the power and authority of heaven into people's lives. The church is the government of God on the earth. The authority of Jesus Christ has been given to the church. The, can I get a water, please? The power of God is re, the power of God is released by faith through the church. Again, the church is not you by yourself. You are not the body of Christ. 
But that doesn't mean you're, you're not part of the church, and that doesn't mean that you're not part of the body. The church judges itself and its members. The church will judge the world. The church is the bride of Christ. So, sweet pea, if you want an eternity, you better get involved in the church. Because you don't want to be one, one of the bridegrooms or one of the bridesmaids that doesn't have the oil and you're running to the market to get it and Jesus shuts the door. You're going to get the oil from the church. Our church is a family. Our church is a resource. Our church is a learning center. Our church is a support system. Our church is an extension of Jesus. Our church is a local branch of the kingdom of God. Jesus gave gifts to the church so that we could be perfected. That doesn't mean perfect. So we could be helped out so we could do what he created each one of us to do together as the church. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Are you ready? We're going to go for a ride. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why? To equip God's people for works of service. Boy, that's pretty easy. God's people are supposed to be doing works of service. But instead, most of the body of Christ comes in and it says, please feed me. I'll take a cup of coffee. I'll take a BLT and hold the mayonnaise. And please, why don't you just toast the bread instead of grill it? That's most of the body of Christ. They come to be served. But the church is supposed to be involved in acts of service. So God gave, Jesus gave the apostles himself. Jesus personally gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people, that's you and me, for works of service. Why? So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now, that way we'll attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be babies. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth and blown every way by winds of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Boy, I'm getting tired of seeing that. I really am getting tired of seeing churches pop up every other week and they're just somebody's idea of what God is and it's not God at all. I really am getting sick and tired of that. I, I really wish people would understand. Because, because we, the majority of the church hasn't been, been the pillar of truth. People are deceived very easily. And they think getting together in a small group in a Bible study in home is a church. It's not a church because Jesus gave the church apostles, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, and, 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 and prophets, and apostles. So we could equip the church to do works of service. Then we'll no longer be babies. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. He's the head. We're the body. We won't become mature until we're equipped by these gifts that he gave us so that we are doing the work of the ministry. He goes on and he says, for him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself. You're part of Christ now. 
You're part of the church, so you're building yourself up. You're part of what he does. I, I don't understand where we lost this. Jesus said, I will build the church, and he's the head, so he's building the church. Guess what the body is supposed to be doing? Building the church. But instead we come and we say, uh, uh, feed me, please. I'll take a cup of decaf, and I'll take a, a, a bowl of chili, and please uh, don't put crackers on the plate because I'm, I'm doing gluten-free and I don't want them. And could you please not talk about judgment and sin? Only talk about grace, please. I only want to hear about grace. We had three old ladies leave the church recently because all they wanted to hear about was grace. Poor old ladies. Seriously. I mean, could you imagine if Jesus, if Jesus really did set me as a pastor here, could you imagine a, a, a fingernail coming up and, and telling me who's just a lip, uh, lip, you can't teach that because I want, I want to hear, the, I only want to hear about the foot part. Just talk to me about the foot part. Praise the Lord. So somebody might mention that scripture says you don't need anybody to teach you. Because you've been given the Holy Spirit. Well, I want you to know that's written first John and first John was written to a church. And he's talking about people coming in and teaching bad things. And the essence of 1 John is, listen, don't listen to all these crazy teachers. Stay with the apostles' teaching. Stay with the teachers that we've set there. And the Holy Ghost will tell you when something false comes in. Okay, you guys still here? <laughs> okay, it's going to get good now. You ready? Praise the Lord. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I, I, I might have to cut some of this, guys. God's intention for the church. You want to know what that is? Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in heaven, heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. And in him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. God's intent was that the wisdom of God be taught through the church. That's God's intention. And we're to enforce that wisdom with the heavenly principles that are, that are at power right now. That's the authority. Not you individually. We, the church. The wisdom of God, the pillar of truth, that's the wisdom of God is to come from the church. And our mission is to save the lost. Separate, we are not the church. This is, please hear me. Separate, we, we aren't much, but together we are the church. Remember in Deuteronomy it says, if one can turn a thousand to flight, two can turn... 10,000. And then, then in Leviticus 26, it says five of you will chase a hundred. But listen, here's the multiplying effect. A uh, uh, hundred of you will chase 10,000. What, what I'm saying is the church is greater than the sum of its members. 
Because when the church comes together, there's something called a corporate multiplier, a corporate anointing that increases the strength and the power and the authority that we have as individuals. It's something that Jesus gets involved with because he's the head and he puts his stamp of approval on it. And one by yourself, you might be able to chase 10, but two of you together can church chase 10,000. Now you get into a congregation, into a group. Uh, five of you can chase 100, but now 100 of you can chase 10,000. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, where two or three are gathered, there I am also. Now you get together in a regular legislative assembly, you've got a multiplying effect. Not just for power, not just for authority, not just for the mission, but for the anointing and revelation. Have you ever noticed that you learn more when you're at church, then you do usually praying and reading the word by yourself. And it's not because the word is that much better. It's because the corporate anointing unwraps it for us, unveils it for us. We, we are being built together to be something living. First Peter chapter 2, as you come to him, a living stone... Jesus, rejected by humans, chosen by God, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, into a priesthood, an offering, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones out there all on our own, but when we come together, we're being built together into something that God dwells in our midst. The Holy Spirit lives in you, but God dwells within our midst when we gather together like this. It's what's called the corporate anointing. It's different than what you get at home. And that's why the person who stays at home goes into darkness five times a week and comes out and gets, gets happy again and goes back into darkness because they need the corporate anointing to break the yoke and power of the devil in their life. Ah. <laughs> Ephesians 2. We are being built together as living stones as a church. Consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, you guys, but you're fellow citizens with God and also members of his household. Household isn't a household when it's just one person. Built on the foundation of the, apostle, of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Now, in him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Catch this. He's not talking to the universal church. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to a local church. Are you hearing me? In him, the whole building is joined and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We've got a deposit, but we come together and he dwells within us. Come on. We're being built together to form one body. He writes to the church in Corinth, first, chapter 12, verse 13. We are all baptized by one spirit to form one body. He's writing to a church, not multiple churches. 
We are all baptized by one spirit, so to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we're all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. You're a part. You're a part. You're a part. I'm a part. And we belong to each other. Because I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without me, and you can't do it with that person that you hate that's sitting on the back row either. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but, but come on, think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with faith that God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each one has a body and many members, fingers, toes, elbows, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, though we are many, we form one body and each member belongs to the other. A finger can't do much if it's not attached to the hand. A hand can't do much if it's not attached to the arm. An arm can't do much if it's not attached to the body. So who cares if you're, if you're an elbow, a digit, a finger, or a fingernail? All together you form one function. Praise the Lord. And we belong to each other. That's why when we're missing somebody, we're missing them. That's why when you don't take your place... The whole body suffers. Hebrews 12, 23, or 10, 23 says, Let's hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promises faithfulness. And now let's consider how we can spur one another on to love and love and love and good deeds. We stop at love, but he says love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some have had in the habit of doing since COVID, but encouraging one another. And all the more as the day approach is the day is approaching. I don't know about you, but for me, if you look at the signs of the time, there's some other things that are going to happen, but my goodness, we're a whole lot closer than we were last year. At least we're a year closer. But it seems like everything's, everything's clicking along. So what does that mean? We should be meeting together more. And we're struggling to get people to meet together once a week. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's because the, the body of Christ doesn't understand the purpose of the, the church. Don't neglect it. Come together. Encourage one another. We are the church individually, but we are unrecognizable as the body by ourselves. So let's say Joe was up here. And, and, well, I don't know how it happened, but let's say he cut off his toe. And Lucas thinks it's gross, and he throws the toe out on the street. And I go over to Smoky Row later on in the day to get a cup of coffee, and I see that bloody toe sitting there. Am I going to say, hey, Joe, how you doing? Nice to see you, Joe. What are you doing out here in the cold? Where's your coat? But if we're not part of a church, that's what we are in the body of Christ. It's part of the body. But it ain't hooked to anything. Well, no wonder it can't walk. No wonder it can't move. No wonder it got stiff. No wonder it started to decay. No wonder it's just a bone. No wonder it's gone. 
because it's disconnected from the body. A toe is not the foot, a foot is not the leg, a finger is not the hand, the hand is not the arm, the arm is not the body, and a belly button is not the torso. A Christian is not the church. An eyelid is not an eye, a tongue is not a mouth, the eardrum is not an ear, the stomach is not the digestive system, the lung is not the respiratory system, the heart is not the circulatory system, and a Christian is not the church. A handlebar isn't the bike, a windshield isn't a car, a periscope isn't a submarine, a rudder isn't a ship, a wing isn't an airplane, and a box is not, boxcar is not the train, and a Christian is not the church. A minute is not the hour, an hour is not the day, a day is not the week, a week is not the month, a month is not the year, and a year is not a lifetime, a Christian is not the church. A dry day is not the drought, a dark cloud is not the storm, a drop of water isn't the rain, a snowflake isn't the blizzard, a bolt of lightning isn't a thunderstorm, a gust of wind isn't a tornado, a wave of the ocean isn't a tsunami, and a Christian is not the church. A cloud is not the sky, a sunrise is not the day, the moon is not the night, a star is not the galaxy, a galaxy is not the universe, and a Christian is not the church. A vegetable is not a plant, and a plant is not a garden, and a petal isn't a flower, and a blade of grass isn't the lawn, and a leaf is not the tree, and a tree is not the forest, a Christian is not the church. An antenna isn't the butterfly, a scale isn't the fish, a feather isn't the bird, a hoof is not the horse, a trunk is not an elephant, and a blowhole is not a whale, and a Christian is not a church. The core is not the apple, the aroma is not the flower, the rain is not the spring, the heat is not the summer, the harvest is not the fall, the cloud is not the winter, and a Christian is not the church. The cocoon is not the caterpillar, the web is not the spider, the den is not the bear, the song is not the bird, the howling is not the wolf, and the roar is not the lion. A Christian is not the church, a child is not the family, a student is not the school, a pitcher is not a baseball team, a soldier isn't an army, the president isn't the government, and a Christian isn't the church. A building is not the church, a leader is not the church, a board of directors is not the church, a teacher is not the church, a pastor is not the church, and a Christian is certainly not the church. A Bible study is not the church, a prayer service is not the church, a ministry is not the church, a time of fellowship is not the church, a time of worship is not the church, a sermon is not the church, and a Christian is not the church. The church is made up of many members, but a member is not the church. A church cannot exist without Christians, but a Christian is incomplete without being part of a church. Together we are the ecclesia. Together we attend church regularly. We worship together. We learn together. We serve together. We minister together. We work together as one. Together we can do great things. Together we are the church. Together we can feed the hungry, together we can clothe the naked, together we can shelter the homeless, together we can transform neighborhoods, together we can provide safe after-school programs for kids that are at risk, 
Together we can coach and mentor the next generations. Together we can save babies' lives. Together we can provide shelter for unwed mothers. Together we can teach young people core values and godly principles. Together we can teach businessmen and women godly business ethics. Together we can train young men and women in Iowa how to handle the word of God. Together we can reach people all around the world through our social media. Together we can train people in 195 countries right now. Together we can build a campus of excellence, of growth and Bible training. Together we can build homes, buildings and businesses to further the kingdom of God. Together we can change lives. Together we can win souls. Together we can raise up leaders. Together we can transform Des Moines. Together we can reach all of Iowa and every nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Together we can make a difference because together we are the church. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the church. I pray this morning, Lord, that each and every person that hears this message and that, that, that was involved in this message and experienced it, that something inside them has shifted. I pray that something inside them has changed. I pray that ideas have been transformed, that they begin to see the mission, the vision, and the purpose of your church. They begin to see that you are the head and together we are the body called to do things as one. Thank you for the mystery of the church and thank you for the revelation. In Jesus name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know, Pastor Kenny touched a lot on the church and being together um, and Christians. But there's, there's one defining thing that makes Christians Christians, and it's not just a bunch of people who, <clears throat> excuse me, who come to church. It's not just a bunch of people who, who sit in a building. Right, like the, the song we sang today, there's a, a confession that we hold. And that's we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you're here today and you haven't made that confession, I believe that that's because this is your chance. And when you make that confession, you become part of the body of Christ. And it's then once you become part of the body of Christ that you connect to the church and you become the body of Christ. And so here in a second, I'm gonna ask that everybody bows their head and, and repeat after me. But I know that if, if you haven't made that decision, I, I, I truly believe that there's something within you that's prompting you to make that confession. Like the Bible says that Jesus, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by me. And there's a lot of things in the world that say, yeah, you can, you can get to God this way or that way, or just being a good person. But the confession of a Christian is that it's only through Jesus. And so I wanna give everybody the opportunity here today to, to make that confession. Whether it be for the first time or you need to, to make it again, that's okay. But if you would bow your heads with me and, and repeat after me. Lord God, I confess that I have sinned against you. 
I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he is the way. I make you Lord of my life, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. And I will worship you to the best of my ability for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, would you guys stand with me? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Stand up and let's praise one more time. Pastor's brunch over here. Grab some food. Get the vision of the church. We love you guys, and we'll see you over there. Thank you.